Welcome to Always West Seattle, the podcast where the people, places, and stories of West Seattle come together. I'm your host, Keith Bacon. In this episode, you'll hear part two of our interview with Tracy Record, editor and co-publisher of the West Seattle blog, where we talk about some of her greatest challenges and achievements since launching her always-on community news source, plus where she sees room for improvement in West Seattle and one thing about our area that she hopes won't ever change. But first, we'll get to know another writer with a notable focus on West Seattle. His name is Sean Petrie, and you might know him as the typewriter guy, who you may have seen pecking out poetry on the spot at the Farmer's Market and Summerfest. Some of Sean's work was collected into a book published last year in partnership with the Southwest Seattle Historical Society. But you might be surprised to learn that this talented presence in our community actually lives in Austin, Texas. We caught up with Sean recently to learn more about him and his poetry process and how West Seattle became his muse. So how did you get started writing poetry? Oh, man. So I guess I wrote poetry when I was a kid, some, but never really thought of myself as a poet at all. And then about, I would say, seven or eight years ago, there was a a group of friends in Austin, and one of them, she had this idea to do a a project at a maker fair. One of those things where like people do the do-it-yourself type stuff, um, like Mm -hmm. robots or t-shirts or whatever. And she's like, I want to do something with words. And we were like, yeah, cool. We don't know what. And another friend, she had these old typewriters. She's like, I want to bring the typewriters. We're like, okay. And so the first person that came up to the little booth that we had, it was this girl, probably like eight or nine. And she said, can you guys write me a, a haiku about dragons? And, <laughs> and I was like, sure. <laughs> so we did that and it just took off. I and mean, we had a line of people. I think they love the typewriters and the poems made up on the spot. And somehow it just clicked for me and I was like, oh, I can do this. And so since then, I've written probably close to 20,000 poems for people. Wow. Yeah, I know. Me too. Like strangers. And so (laughs) it's that, uh, who is it? It's like uh, Malcolm Gladwell is like, you do something 10,000 hours and you get competent at it or whatever. So that's how Mm -hmm. I feel like with poetry. I never would have guessed that's what I'd be doing, but it works. <laughs> he told you this would happen though. Exactly. Yes. <laughs> yeah. And uh, you're based in Austin, Texas. How and when did your connection to West Seattle begin? Yeah, this was about three years ago now. So I, I teach and I took a sabbatical year, 2017 to 2018. And I have some friends in Seattle and then my agent for my writing is there. And I was like, oh, I just, I should go there. It'd be a great place. And then a, a good friend of mine was looking at places for me to stay. And she's like, I found this one in, uh, in West Seattle. She's like, it's not downtown, but I think you'd really like it. And she'd showed it to me on video. And I was like, oh, that looks awesome. I love that. And I got there and it was like immediate. I was like, oh my gosh, this is the place. And the day I moved in, it was July and it's this gorgeous, sunny day. And I just, the place I lived in was right by the the junction. And I just walked all the way down to Aokai and back Mm -hmm. up Admiral and just all around. and, And I was like, this is amazing. And so I had planned for that sabbatical year to spend about two to three months 
in different cities. I was going to go uh-huh. to Quebec City for some part. I was going to go to Portland, Maine. And I was like, nope, I'm just staying here. So I stayed in West Seattle for the whole year and into the, a, a bit longer than that, actually. So, Oh, wow. Yeah. And your book that came out last year, Listen to the Trees, is a collection of poems written on demand for people at the 2018 Summerfest in the Junction. Tell me about how that process works. Yeah. So the process of writing poems for people on the spot is I set up a little table uh, or wherever at, at an event and have a typewriter. And mine is, this is my here. It's 1928 Remington portable typewriter, still kicking. And it's a little sign that says like free poems, any topic. And so people will come up and I'll say one at a time, I'm like, what can I write you a poem about? And they'll say ice cream, or I'm starting a new job, or my dog just died or something. And then in a couple minutes, I'll make them up a poem about that on the spot, on the the, the typewriter and then give them the poem. And so it's this, this really cool process of a brief but sometimes intense connection with people and they walk away with a physical, tangible thing, which I think is more and more rare. Mm-hmm. And so that's what I've been doing. And the Southwest Seattle Historical Society had hired me to be at their booth for the 2018 Summerfest, the street fair. Mm-hmm. And, and so I set up there and their idea was to, to ask people, instead of just what would you like a poem about, what's your favorite thing about West Seattle? Mm-hmm. And so that's where the genesis came from for, for this book. And by that point, I'd been living there for over almost you know, a year and I had explored a lot and knew a lot of the area and history and people. And, and so I was able to write about a lot of those things and with some passion behind it too. And then we just decided like, this could be a really cool book. And it just happened. It it is a a very cool book and it's beautiful too. It's really well designed. And there's so many great photographs of West Seattle then and now. Yeah, that was like, so there's the poems, which is one aspect. And I love the poems. They are great. Some of them I think are stand up better than others, but that's what it was. It was, it's not meant to be like this grandiose poetry collection. It's like a snapshot of that day. But then there's also the photographs. And so most of the now photographs, I ended up taking those like either from that project or ones that I had taken over the year, just being there in West Seattle, and it worked with a particular poem. And then we collaborated or or reached out to a lot of different organizations to get the then photos, UW library system, Mohai, even went to Boeing and got some photos from them and places like that. And then the publisher uh, is Documentary Media, which is based there in West Seattle. And they're amazing. Like they just, they took this project with as much passion about it as, as I have. And then they did the design and layout. And yeah, the book just, the, I love the look and the feel of it. Yeah, it's amazing. It's not the kind of poetry book that you just sit alone on a rock reading. <laughs> yeah, it's like, a, it's, yeah, it's a coffee table kind of poetry book too. So mm-hmm. yeah. The poems that you wrote for Listen to the Trees include some deep understanding of West Seattle history. I was curious how you came to have all that knowledge and background. Like I said, I I fell in love with the area there and I have flirted with and am still flirting with moving there. But I think it was a combination of going to a lot of places regularly. Like, you know, I was close to the junction. And so the Elliott Bay Brew Pub became almost my second home sometimes. Mm -hmm. And I would go there and just talk to the bartenders and the regulars. And so learned a lot about the area that way. I also had done things with the 
historical society and gone to several of their presentations as well. And so I knew, you know, I learned or absorbed things about the, the area that way. And I think part of it too is I what one of the things I love so much about the area is just that is just walking around it. And just it doesn't matter where you are or what part, it's just I love it. And I think you can't help but absorb an area that way too, just walking the streets or the shores or whatever. That actually leads me to my next question. Your prompt for people for this book at Summerfest was, what do you love about West Seattle? What would your answer to that question be? Oh my gosh. I think it's walking, walking the, not just the streets, but the whole area, just like walking the city, walkability. I just, I love that. And there are fewer and fewer places that you can do that now, I think. Mm. So everywhere you go, there's an amazing view or there's like this cozy corner or you'll run into, you're likely to run into somebody that you know, Mm -hmm. which is crazy. I remember I was doing this, that street fair in 2018 and I had done the farmer's market a bunch, which also Mm. was a great way to learn about the area. I did that a lot of different Sundays. And so I knew some of the, some people from that and I was walking to the street fair. I was several blocks away and I had my typewriter and somebody stopped their car and they were like, you're the typewriter guy, the poet. And I was like, where else is that going to happen? Just like, on the street. so it was, I don't know. It's just, it's such a really good feeling being there and walking around. Yeah. That's something that I really connected to last year in part because of the bridge closure. I'm sure you've heard about yes. our oh, bridge yeah. being out and the pandemic. I mean, I, I spent so much more time in West Seattle last year than I ever have since I moved here in 2005. And before I used to think of Alki, it's, it's, that's down there. And I live up in the junction, so I'm up here. But now I, I walk to Alki from the junction yeah. all the time. I also got a bike, so that makes oh, nice. it a little <laughs> more expedient. But yeah, I just in this last year, you know, I've really just embraced walking around my neighborhood and, and being able to have such a wide range of experiences all in my kind of own backyard. It's pretty great. It really is. And I was, uh, yeah, I was there. I, I, I've come back at least twice a year since 2018. And I was there this past October, 2020 was my last visit. And so, yeah, the bridge was closed then, but I, I would take the bridge when I would arrive, but I, one of my favorite things to other favorite things to do is to take the water taxi across. Mm -hmm. And so I used to do that. I would I assume it's still running, but the free shuttle, like from the junction down yep. to, to Seacrest. And then I would take the water taxi across and go downtown or go to a Mariners game or whatever that way. And that was just, that was perfect. And you have to deal with mm. traffic. Did it feel different to you when you were here in October of 2020? Not a whole lot di- other than the COVID stuff. Yes. Yeah. Um, that was the main difference. It didn't feel different in terms of stuff with the West Seattle bridge again, because when I lived there, I didn't leave and didn't go to other places a whole lot. And if I did, it was by the water taxi or I went, took the ferry to, to Bremerton a couple of times. And then I have a good friend up in Bellevue. So I would go drive up there, but usually I didn't drive off of the quote island that much. Right. Tell me about the typewriter that you use to create these poems. You mentioned that it's a Remington from the twenties. Yeah. It's a Remington portable. Is it here? It's a 1928 model. And it's there. What is it? Portable model number two. So second <laughs> one. I mean, it's cool because its keys raise up like peacock feathers here. And then they lie down flat to go into its case to make it even smaller and more portable. And, and it's great. I've had this since 2013, 2014. My first typewriter 
that I got, and I, I own several now, but that's still my favorite. It's metal. Typewriters were metal. And then in World War II, they switched to plastic to use the metal for the military. And so if you have a plastic typewriter, that usually means it's post-World War II. And so this is a metal one with these like nice glass-topped keys. And, you know, it's almost 100 years old now, and it's all the same original parts. It's just the ribbon that you change. And there's no, no batteries, no electricity. So I love that about it. And the, the sound, like, I don't know if you can hear this on the thing, but like... That, like <laughs> people love that too. So they hear that at a, the farmer's market or the street fair and they're like, what's that? And they just come over. Well, shall we fire it up for a, a poem on demand? Do you have it in you today? I'm uh, sure. Always. <laughs> I will make no promises about quality, but I will <laughs> do that. So yeah, I'm going to tear a piece of paper. I usually do a half sheet of paper. So I'm tearing a piece of paper in half here and I'll feed it into the typewriter. And I don't know, this is a podcast so you guys can't see any of this but i can at least put that on there so you can see what i'm doing we can hear it yeah yeah (laughs) all right so yeah what keith what would you like a poem about (laughs) i was thinking about a junction landmark that this podcast is uh named after walk always oh yeah yeah okay all right so i'm gonna do this it'll probably take me i don't know a couple minutes here take your time two minutes and four and a half seconds later my poem was done let's jump ahead and hear it all right, here's a little poem right here. I'll Amazing. Sign it. <laughs> All right. Walk always. You stop and wait. Maybe check out the latest Easy Street sign. Maybe peek down Royal Cupcake. Or maybe your gaze just turns to the mountains or a glimpse of the bay far below. And then the sign changes. People move at right angles and diagonal. And this place is different, where you can walk any way you want and see beauty in every direction, too. Incredible. Always. I I know I love that spot. I remember when I first saw that, I was like, what's going on? What does that mean, walk always? (laughs) (laughs) I was so confused. (laughs) Yeah, it is. It's a very unique part of our neighborhood. It's only one of uh, two intersections like that in the whole city. The other one is at Pike Place Market. Oh, I didn't realize that. Okay. Oh, that's so cool. Yeah, that was amazing. Totally captured a lot of what I love about not just the walkaways intersection, but West Seattle and and what I try to do here to celebrate the, all the things that I love about it. So thank you so much for talking with me and for sharing that. Where should people look for you if they want to keep up on your latest and greatest and get a copy of Listen to the Trees? The website is just my full name, S E A N. P-E-T-R-I-E dot com. So you can go there. There's a link to the Listen to the Trees. It's on Amazon, so you can order it there. In West Seattle, it's at uh, Paper Boat Booksellers. So they are awesome. New bookstore down by the Morgan Junction area. And, And yeah, so I don't know if the street fair is going on again this summer. I will be there at a booth typing poems with the book. And I'll be back for sure, regardless of that, but that'll definitely be be something that I'll be at this summer. And if not this one, then for sure the next one, if whenever it's safe again to have these kind of those kind of events. Well, let's hope that's sooner than later. I know. Me too. I can't wait to get out there and, and type some poems for people. 
If you've got a poem or book or some other creative project related to West Seattle that you'd like to talk about on this podcast, send an email to Keith at alwayswestseattle.com or drop us a DM on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Next up is the conclusion to our interview with West Seattle Blog's Tracy Record, where we found some time during the relatively slow news cycle of the winter holiday break to talk about her community-minded approach to commenters, the stories she's been proudest to publish, and what she hopes for the future of West Seattle. In the community forums and commenting areas of West Seattle Blog, you were an early adopter, in my eyes anyway, of setting sort of standards and rules of what sort of language people could use, what they could say, what was not allowed. And in doing so, I I imagine you added a lot of extra work for yourself in monitoring it. What motivated you to take that on? I think it's irresponsible of somebody to have a a place like that, you know, a forum or a comment section and not have some standards. If they're going to be 4chan or something, and then that is their, their mission, that it's just free for all, everything goes, okay, but otherwise, um, it's like hosting a party or, you know, or, or having a venue that people come to or something. You can't just stand idly by while somebody tries to set fire to the place or, you know, insult your fellow guests or something. Um, it's, it's not responsible, really. And when I see some publications that otherwise are respectable that, you know, allow racist comments or something, I just, it makes me shake my head and wonder why. Sometimes there are excuses that they don't have enough people. And I'm like, hey, dude, there's one of me and dealing with a hundred or more a day. And well, so that's pretty much where that has gone. And it's, it's also a great source of stress because there's a lot of, of, of criticism you get for, um, you know, people that, uh, that think it should be a free for all. And it's like, sorry, you can start your own website if you really want to do it that way. And has that become more work over the years? Or has it sort of settled down or? Well, no, it's, it's, it's become more work depending on, on the topics. And of course, this year we've had a lot of really incendiary topics. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the, the, the struggle for racial justice and that's, you know, led to some, some difficult comment threads, especially the ones where, when the, uh, Evening March protesters came to town to uh, to see city council members in the evening mm-hmm. um, several times during the summer. Um, also, even the pandemic has lent itself to a lot of difficult discussions because somewhere out there, there's a bunch of you know virus deniers who seem to float around from website to to website and other things like that. It's you know when there are so many websites that have a- actually totally killed comments or else put dramatic restrictions like you have to register. The things that make me fight for keeping them are things such as when people are able to compliment each other on a, on a nice picture or offer some additional information. There was a, a story we covered a couple of weeks ago about a bicyclist who was hit by a car and then the, the victim finally got out of the hospital and he left a couple of comments over the weekend. You know, that's that's the, the sort of space that we want to keep holding it for. I never leave comments on the bird photos, but I love them so much. <laughs> And that's the other thing where when when people say, oh, my gosh, you know, why don't you have three million comments? I say there's a very tiny percentage of people who actually do comment. And that's okay. You know, we're not here saying you have to comment. Besides which, we don't sit around and have metrics and say, oh, my God, nobody read that particular story. We're never doing a story like that again. That was something else that tended to happen in TV news that I'm glad to have left behind. What are some stories that you've published that you're most proud of? Last decade, there were a couple that I, I always bring up when when someone asks that kind of question. 
two of them, and they both came from community tips originally. One was the story about the um, the Seattle police surveillance cameras that went up along the waterfront, completely unheralded. It's almost quaint to look back and think about people having an uproar about surveillance cameras, because since then, people have surveillance cameras in their doorbell, surveillance cameras on their porch, surveillance cameras overlooking their garage. Um, it's just not a big thing anymore. So if that happened again now, I'm afraid people would probably shrug. But at the time, it was a big deal, and it eventually led to the city installing some policies requiring comments and asking for public input before they start implementing a new technology. Mm -hmm. And that one just came because a couple of people noticed these cameras up on poles and said, hey, what's that? And so we started down a trail of research, and it seemed that you know nobody had asked. And the other one was when the Seattle Parks had a proposal to have a company called Go Ape have a zip line concession in Lincoln Park <laughs> of all places. And some local community volunteers got wind of, of that. Um, and the parks department claimed that they were just getting ready to take it to the public and they were about to ask for, you know, people's comments. But in reality, it had been going around in the parks department for like a year before it got to that point and it hadn't surfaced in the public. And, um, once that came up, there was such an out uproar that uh, they had one community meeting and people screamed and yelled and the whole thing uh, died. Because even though it's not a pristine, natural, you know, original growth forest, it still has an amazing amount of wildlife. There are birders who are there all the time. A lot of those bird pictures come from Lincoln Park. Mm -hmm. um, and it just, it just wasn't the place. That's a, a great form of recreation, but there certainly are other areas that where it could have been beneficial and not so intrusive. Do you know, did they ever find another place for that? Not in Seattle. And I, I looked up recently. It was hard to figure out what the, the status of that actual company was. They seem to have a, a lot of places in the, the Midwest and, you know, in the Northeast where that sort of thing is uh, popular. And, you know, that's great. Are there any things about you or West Seattle blog that people frequently misunderstand? Um, it's not a, a misunderstanding so much as a, you know, they don't know. Um, I think once in a while, it, we're always surprised to have People suggest that they they think we do this as like a volunteer project or in our spare time or something, as opposed to it actually being a business. So that's one thing that uh, that that people don't uh, don't realize is this is a business, and we're not you know we're not nonprofit, we're not getting rich off it, but that's the way that it uh, that it that it goes. Um, otherwise, it's just people um, people also don't quite understand exactly how it works. And we have to explain to them that it's an edited website. The things that we post, they all go through us. There's Aside from the, the discussion forum, there's not really a direct post kind of place. So people will send you stuff at, like a press release and just expect you to sort of run it as is. Is that what you mean? Well, no, they, they'll, they'll say, I don't know how to post on your site, but... Oh. Uh, and and it's like you you're doing absolutely the right thing you are sending to us that's the first step there are some sites i guess somewhere in the in the world where they have community websites or like again social media sites work where just everybody direct posts um and you know that's our difference is that well we're a you know a filter i guess what's the hardest part about your job uh the hardest part is 
is continuously, you know, wondering what it is that that we're not talking about or that we're not reporting on. Um, you know, what are the things that that we should know that we should be, you know, reporting on that we should people that we should be talking about that we won't know because no one's telling us or we're not asking the right questions. So that's kind of the the continuously haunting thing is always wanting to find a way to do a better job and not knowing exactly how to scratch under the surface. What do you think is in store for West Seattle? Do you think things are sort of heading in the right direction here? Or do you think we are definite need of improvement beyond the bridge, of course? One thing that is not fully, um, you know, appreciating the the amazing setting that we have here is I still think that there's there's a lot of of room for some more mid-sized employers to come here. So bridge or no bridge, people could live and work on the peninsula. There's a company in the junction called Tango Card, and um, I haven't talked to them in a while, so I don't know how many employees they have now, but I think they have, you know, a hundred or so employees. They have some space in, in Jefferson Square. And just imagine if there were more companies like that that were over here. And so that even once the bridge opens again, it wouldn't have to be wall to wall in the morning with the entire peninsula leaving and then the entire peninsula coming back in the in the afternoon. Uh, we still have a, a fair amount of potential for that, although we have a, you know, there's not a lot of developable land left. That aside, I think that, um, you know, the, the sky's still the limit. And um, I think that there's a lot of good people over here in good places. And we've managed to keep our business community surviving and, and even, you know, even despite everything that's happened in the past year. So I think that's very promising. What do you personally love about living and working in West Seattle? Well, just the ability to be able to cover the community where we've lived for almost 30 years now is um, and, and do that for a living is, is an absolute joy. Um, I'm glad personally that we have so much natural beauty over here so that part of what we report on can be the birds, the parks, the orcas. That, that's the most fun thing is when I get a, a tip that orcas are passing through the area and I can, you know, go on Twitter and on the website and say, Hey, you know, it's, there's whales out there and people can go down to the, uh, you know, I know there's, you know, there's lots of other ways that they can, that they can get that information, but just to be able to surface that, then maybe the next story I cover is the fact that three people had their cars broken into last night, but at least there's, you know, kind of a moment of respite. It's like, wow, we still have orcas swimming by. So the uh, the natural the natural beauty the fact that we're you know a peninsula surrounded by water is is one of the coolest things. Is there one thing or place about West Seattle or in West Seattle that you hope never changes or goes away? Oh, that's that's a good question. Um, I hope that I guess this is this is the the sentimental view, and it doesn't have anything to do with the natural beauty really. But I, I hope that the junction does manage to keep a fair amount of its small townedness for at least some decades to come. You know, certainly as I've told people, the entirety of the heart of the junction has been zoned to, you know, 80 feet, 90 feet for decades now. And and certainly there's been some redevelopment and there's a couple more projects on the thing, but that still doesn't mean that it has to totally lose that close knit business community, small town, downtown sort of flavor, especially with the protection of the Campbell and Ham buildings there at the heart of it. So mm-hmm. I hope that uh, I hope that that won't change anytime soon. Same here. <laughs> um, in my opinion, you and Patrick provide an invaluable service to our community, even as a business. And uh, what would you ask of your community in return? I would ask that people remember that we're a small business too, 
And as much as we evangelize spend local, that also goes for people who do what we do for a living. If you're, you know, if you're considering advertising, you know, give us a, give us a shout as well. Mark Zuckerberg does not need your money, but you know, $10 spent, uh, you know, in the other direction, um, makes a difference because we live and work here and also spend here. So that's, that's something that, um, is kind of near and dear to our hearts too. Is there anything about West Seattle that you think most people don't know or realize? Some people don't realize that West Seattle really is the entire peninsula. That's been something that I've been really proud of being able to evangelize and, and cover in all the time that we've done it. There are people who, you know, seem to think that West Seattle is only from the junction northward, and we cover it as one peninsula, even with the city dividing it sometimes into West Seattle and Delridge, as if, you know, Delridge is not part of West Seattle. And we, you know, cover it all the way to the lines in all directions, including, you know, all the way down to, to Myers Way. Um, and it's an amazing, diverse place that has the city's largest forest. It has part of, you know, the left side of the city's only river. And it has an a, amazing amount of history. So I, I always ask people, it's like, when you think West Seattle, remember all of West Seattle, not just what you might think, you know, your, your own little neighborhood. Mm-hmm. And what I love about your approach uh, to all of West Seattle is that you do cover everything from garage sales, which, you know, uh, you have your own sort of garage sale event and to crime to sitting on Santa's lap, all these things that get uh, equal attention and attention to detail from you. And I just think that is uh, it's very unique. Well, what we, what we try to do ultimately is, is to be helpful. It, it's something that even in other lines of work, like when I was 18 years old and I was a radio disc jockey, the most fun part of that job was to answer the phone when people would call up for a request and go dive through the hundreds of records in the back and find the record that they wanted to hear. And it's the same thing now. And that's part of the joy of, of what's not just tips, but also questions when somebody asks something or even the person who sent me the picture of the development sign. You know, now I'm busy engaged in a process of trying to find out what's new with that and why did it just go up today? And that's the sort of thing that I, you know, I, I take joy in, in us being able to be helpful. And, you know, and I hope that even in those little ways, like this season, we're showing Christmas lights. And, you know, a couple of people have commented that it makes them happy to be able to see that because they can't necessarily go out and drive around and see it for themselves. And it's like, yay, okay, there's there's one little success for today. <laughs> Finding and celebrating joy in our community is something that definitely inspired me to start this podcast. And and the work that you do is also a, a big inspiration point for me to jump in and connect with our community. So thank you so much to you and Patrick for all the incredible work that you do for us. Thanks, Keith. Not sure I even need to mention it, but you can and should read West Seattle Blog at westseattleblog.com and watch their Twitter feed for breaking news. Thanks so much to Tracy Record and Sean Petrie for dedicating so much time and talent to our community and for talking with me for this episode, which happens to be our 20th. Episode 21 will mark our one-year anniversary. Time sure flies when you're making it up as you go along, and we've got some exciting things planned for the next year ahead. That's it for this episode of Always West Seattle. You can show support for this free community podcast just by leaving a comment or review on whatever platform you're streaming from. And be sure to follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram for updates. Always West Seattle is a Made with Bacon production. Interviews are edited for brevity and clarity. I'm Keith Bacon. Thanks for listening. Thank you.